Hello and welcome to Dare to Know, interviews with quality and reliability thought leaders. I'm Tim Rogers, and today I'm pleased to welcome Stephen Wax. Stephen has 30 years of wide-ranging industry experience in both technical and management positions. He's worked as a statistician at Ford Motor Company, where he has extensive experience in the development of statistical models, reliability analysis, design experimentation, and statistical process control. Steve is currently a principal statistician at Integral Concepts Incorporated, where he assists manufacturers in the application of statistical methods to reduce variation and improve quality and productivity. He also possesses expertise in the application of reliability methods to achieve robust and reliable products, as well as estimate and reduce warranty. In addition to providing consulting services, Steve leads training workshops in a variety of statistical methods. Steve has an MA in Applied Statistics from the University of Michigan and an MBA from the Katz Graduate School of Business at the University of Pittsburgh. He received his Six Sigma Black Belt while working at Ford Motor Company. Steve Wax, welcome and thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you, Tim. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Steve, I, I'm sure you've heard people say that there's rarely enough time to prevent a quality problem, but somehow there's always enough time to fix a problem after it's occurred. Why is it that so many organizations are unwilling or maybe unable to invest in defect prevention activities, and how can they be convinced to do more prevention? Well, I, you know, I wish I knew the full answer to this question. Um, there, there's probably several reasons, I think, uh, why you know, not enough effort spent on prevention. Um, I'll, I'll offer a few a few ideas that I have. Um, you know, it might come down to what what is actually measurable or quantifiable. In other words, how do we quantify the prevention of a major issue that, that occurs? And, you know, and especially when success means that those issues will never actually occur. Um, you know, I think Good back, point. yeah, I think back to just an example of that when, uh, I was working as a, at a Six Sigma black belt at a prior company, and you know we were told that for us to work on any initiative or project, we had to upfront show that absolutely positively we could quantify the savings, and they'd be say at least two hundred fifty thousand per year. So it was certainly plausible to work on fixing an existing problem that was causing a company to bleed cash, but that would never allow us to actually work on preventing some future big problems. So I think sometimes it's just because, kind of, I'm sorry, Steve, yeah. that's because you couldn't point to a specific cost savings that could be realized. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, we all know that some of the prevention activities are going to pay off, but uh, because the action or the, the issue that was never, never happened is uh, it's unknown how big or whether it was going to turn into uh, a multi-million dollar lawsuit or a safety issue or or just uh, horrible inefficiency within a plant, um, it, it's hard to, to know what, what issues have been prevented. And certainly we have prevented many issues, uh, but I think we can do a lot more to, to prevent um, any more issues. And so I think just, just that in a company, you know, we all have objectives and we're rewarded based on actions. Sometimes it's harder to quantify actions that are more preventative in nature than versus reactionary where, where we can see a direct benefit. Yeah, I, th I think we're also talking about something, we're talking about something that has a, a possibility of happening, but not a certainty of happening, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, 
you know, I, I have come across in my career a few examples where this 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 was sort of just not an issue. One of our one of my favorite clients that we worked with uh, some years ago, uh, really to help transform their operations. Uh, this was a company that that was working in a highly competitive uh, area and a highly commoditized business. Uh, business was highly commoditized, so um, you know efficiency was everything to remaining competitive. And it was pretty rare that the that the director who hired us actually, I think she actually had a degree in statistics, so I think she got it. But her thing with her staff was she had them focused on. Uh, simply reducing variation in key process characteristics. It, it was not about, you know, quantify how much you're going to save on this project or that project. Her, her measurable was what is the standard deviation today and what is the standard deviation when you're done with this improvement project. Right. Um, now, obviously, there was, we, we have to know uh, there's some upfront work to make sure we're reducing variation on the important variables, but she trusted that by reducing variation, um, on key characteristics that that was going to lead to uh, a lot of savings with regard to, you know, scrap, efficiency, potentially warranty issues, and, and avoid a lot of problems. And it actually did. Uh, I mean, when you tracked what happened over a period of years, it was a, it was a dramatic uh, impact. Steve, that kind of reminds me of Taguchi and uh, utility costs. Right. Sure. The Taguchi loss function and, you know, basically says that, you know, cost is inversely proportional to, to variability. And I think that's uh, one of the great ideas that, that comes out of, out of Taguchi. Um, you know, I just, I, I can also just can't, um, you mentioned the, in the question that, that there's always money for uh, dealing with, with big issues and maybe not so much for prevention. And that's been my experience. Um, you know, while our firm does a lot of consulting and training in the area of applying statistical methods and process optimization, um, a big side of our business, and I'd say it's actually growing, is um, being expert witnesses for product liability cases. And, um, you know, we testify as to causes of failure and how um, it really it comes down to, um, you know, could this problem have been prevented with better manufacturing practices or better reliability testing and that kind of thing. Um, but when, when those cases come up, I mean, companies they open up their checkbook and pay and pay and pay for lawyers and experts. And, um, they don't, they don't question what it's costing at that point. Cause huh. you know, they're, they're just trying to defend their reputation and, and, and a huge, you know, potential, uh, dollar amount that, that could, that could be, that they could be liable for. So, right. uh, there's no question that, that, um, we sort of have to change the, the mindset from, waiting for bad things to happen and, and dealing with those to, to, to more of prevention. And, um, you know, I can think of just a couple ways that we could maybe do a better job of that. I mean, I think it's back to um, the, the, the manager, I, the client that I really liked working for. I think more people, more leadership has to have uh, that vision of, of the importance of understanding our processes, reducing variation, um, it's a leadership issue. And I think also where we are deploying um, some preventative methods, for example, failure mode and effects analysis, which is a very common approach for trying to anticipate failures, both on a design and a, and a processing. Sure. I mean, those are wonderful methods. I think, though, that we often aren't taking advantage of maybe some more quantitative approaches like design of experiments and 
things and, and, and more sufficient reliability testing so that we, we have a, a greater uh, assurance that we're doing everything we can to uncover, to understand our processes and products and uncover potential issues that, that could arise both, you know, with a design and in the manufacturing of that design. You know, Steve, it, it seems like there's a lot of confusion about uh, the, that, the purpose and the, the value of statistical process control. Um, what are some of the common misunderstandings or maybe incorrect applications of SPC that you've seen in your work? Yeah, well, gee, that that's um, probably something we could talk about for the whole time here today, but <laughs> um, I'll pick on a few, I guess. I mean, I think first it starts with do, do, do enough people really understand the purpose of SPC and what it's all about. And, you know, I never fail to come across people that, that think SPC and control charting is about ensuring that we're meeting specification and that, that they really it's just about, it's a tool to help us inspect product, which is kind of tells me that, that people are kind of missing the whole boat here. Um, you know, the whole purpose of SPC is to monitor important inputs to our process, process characteristics, to detect changes that may be harmful. And these could be, you know, mean shifts in the process. They could be changes in the amount of variability that we have in the process. Um, and, and that's really what it is. It's, it's a way to detect a change so that we can react and understand the causes of these changes. Um, you know, I think another one would be understanding how this stability question relates to capability. Right. And, and you know, again, it's, um, I think, there's a link between there. They're, they're separate uh, tasks. One is to, to, to achieve control or stability of a process. But then, of course, we must also meet specification, right. which is what capability is all about. But the link is that, you know, sometimes I get I see people just trying to focus on capability and they have no idea whether their process is stable or not, which is kind of putting the cart before the horse. I mean, um, I, I see a lot of companies asking their suppliers to qualify a product simply by sending in, say, a CPK, CPK statistic. But they're not bothered that they're not asking for evidence of stability first. So, um, you know, just because a process happens to be capable at, the, at a point in time when the, the, their, their supplier collects the data does not mean that things are going to remain stable and that the capability will remain that, that good, you know, as the product continues to be manufactured and sources of variation creep into the system. So, so this idea of uh, capability without assuring ourselves that we're stable is, is kind of nonsense. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, I mean, we, a, a lot of times we have customers leaning on us to uh, improve quality and uh, reduce, uh, reduce uh, defects. Uh, but yeah, if you don't start with process control, you have no way of sustaining those gains. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and then there are many aspects to getting process control right. It's certainly not a complicated tool to use, but there are some important aspects to it. Um, I mean, there, there are lots of different charts, right? The traditional charts were, you know, invented in the 1920s and, and they still work for many applications. Yet more and more we're running across more complex manufacturing processes. I mean, just I'll give you an example, like injection molding, where we have a, a four or eight cavity mold. Uh, that kind of process usually requires something beyond the traditional individual moving range or X bar R charts or X bar S charts, um, you know, because we often have sources of variation that are within cavity and between cavity. And so, you know, there's a there's a, a, a charting system 
which looks at three charts that allows you to manage these kinds of multi-stream processes. And it's pretty rare when we're in a client and we don't see applications for these, but honestly, I don't see a lot of people that familiar with them. Um, and, you know, even just knowing when we should be charting averages versus individuals, um, it comes down to having to, you know, the sort of the understanding, you know, the purpose of SBC, as I said, is to detect changes. So, so a natural question would be, okay, well, how much of a process change from a practical perspective do I really want to detect? I mean, I don't want to be overreacting to tiny shifts that aren't going to affect my product performance or affect my customer. Right. But on the other hand, I certainly don't want to miss important shifts. And, and so understanding that first and then, you know, the smaller the shift we need to detect, that, that means the more data we generally need. And so we would be using an X bar chart with an appropriate sample size. I mean, these are just basic questions that, that you know, that I think need to be answered. And unfortunately, I, I see too much of, let's just throw a chart on the wall and, you know, we're, gonna, we're not gonna necessarily worry about the sample size or which chart is the best one to use or, you know, so we kind of lose the benefits or don't achieve the benefits uh, that we could could get from, from a lot of these charting techniques. It sounds more like window dressing. Unfortunately, yeah. Um, I mean, that's often just all it's needed to pass an audit, but um, that's not really why we should be doing uh, implementing these methods. It's to to really make a big difference in the quality and reliability of our of our products. You know, Steve, it seems like uh, customers have a role to play here. Um, uh, you know, customers should be asking for some kind of evidence of process control from their suppliers. I mean, that's that's a no brainer, obviously. Um, <laughs> You know, if if you think about, uh, I mean, pick pick, you know, today where the the most companies are so reliant on their suppliers. Um, I mean, just I don't. I mean, I live in Detroit, so I'm I'm thinking of automotive, even though a lot of my business is not automotive. But I mean, w what is a uh, an OEM going to do with SPC in their own assembly plant? I mean, not much, right? I mean, all the all the manufacturing variability is coming from the supply base, and if right. those suppliers aren't capable and in control, right? They're going to be dealing with a lot of variation in assembly. They're going to be dealing with lots of variation uh, in their products and their customers are experienced uh, uneven performance. And that's why we have, uh, you know, annual warranty bills that are, could be like a third to 50% of our profits in, in our industry. It's um, a lot of money is being left on the table. Very good point. Steve, you know, I think it's important for people to understand that you don't have to be a Six Sigma black belt to manage or support a quality improvement effort. And also that it's not the job of the quality organization to improve quality. It's really everybody's job. Could, could you describe some of the basic tools and analytical processes that anyone can use? Yeah. So, I mean, well, first of all, I, I, I agree that, that we, you know, we don't need to, the black belt's not required. Um, but I do believe that, that, personnel that are involved in product development and manufacturing, they, they do need a basic working understanding of some some important tools and methods sure. with hopefully some some support from more experienced personnel, whether that's a black belt or an industrial statistician. Um, I mean, my personal feeling is that it can be unfair to expect a black belt who's uh, been maybe through four weeks of training um, to be an expert in a lot of these right. tools. <laughs> um, so, I mean... But, but that said, um, yeah, I mean, we've talked a little bit about SPC already, but certainly there's other tools that are critical. I mean, this all starts with 
data, right? And and what before we even use data for any kind of decision with regard to is my process stable or capable or comparing groups or what have you, we need to, of course, make sure that we have an adequate measurement system. And so that starts with, you know, measurement system assessments, such as gauge right. R&R techniques. And, um, you know, I regularly come across measurement systems that just have, you know, way too much air that, that uh, and that affect the ability to, to to, to use that data to make effective decisions. But beyond that, I mean, um, you know, one of the things in SPC to be very effective is to be, is to ensure that we've really identified the, those key process input variables to our process. And how, you know, how do we do that? I mean, because we could, we could have the best control charts in the world and maintaining and monitoring these processes. But if we're not monitoring the right things, again, we're, we're not going to really get the benefits. So, good point. Uh, you know, how do we do that? Well, one tool we use for many things, including that, is design of experiments. Um, pr- probably of all the tools that, that we use in our consulting practice, it's probably the most uh, common and, and useful. But, um, you know, DOE is, uh, if you're not familiar with it, is just an extremely efficient experimental approach to understand um cause and effect relationships um, and developing predictive models. And and the idea is, you know, once we collect some data in a very kind of structured, useful format, um, we can develop these predictive models for not just one response, but many responses, right? Because our products have to do more than one thing usually. They have to uh, perform many, meet many performance requirements. They have to be reliable and they have to be manufacturable and so on and so forth. So, uh, through the use of DOE, um, we we avoid the the over reliance I see today with on trial and error approaches that are not just inefficient, right. but they're sort of inadequate because you know one thing that I see in almost every industrial system are the fact that the the factors the inputs to a process whether it's a or or a product that that affect performance or or affect outcomes, you know, uh, just how we test a product, just affect the outcomes that, that our customers are expecting. Um, those factors tend to be involved in interactions, meaning that uh, the effect of one factor on the response, say temperature, uh, depends on where other factors are sent or de- depends on other design parameters. So um, to think that we could sort of vary one thing at a time and use that approach to uncover and model these interactions is, is not true. And um, so DOE is, is just, you know, uh, an invaluable tool for understanding those interactions, understanding the, the main effects, uh, developing these models. And, you know, um, it, it also allows us to kind of avoid the trap of just seeing correlations and think that that's uh, somehow a cause and effect relationship. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, right. The whole point of these models is to, is to predict okay, if I want to hit some target result or maximize my result, what should I do to my product or my process parameters? And by observing just data in a haphazard fashion, uh, fashion, you know, we could see correlations, but only like in a controlled experiment where we're balanced and we're running combinations where, you know, everything is run with everything else, do we, uh, you know, enable that cause and effect uh, type of relationship to, to, to be found? So. So, so you know, DOE is a, is a is a really useful tool for 
uh, to support quality and reliability. Uh, I mentioned reliability just now, but that um, is another important set of tools, right? So, um, you, you know, failures that occur over time, you know, have to do with the reliability of our product and um, certainly uh, things like adequate reliability testing. And I'm talking about not testing three units and hoping nothing fails, but I'm <laughs> you know, talking about testing a, a, a sufficient sample from, from a production environment and actually estimating you know, testing until failure, perhaps in an accelerated uh, life test if we need mm-hmm. to, to shorten the testing time, but to actually estimate reliability uh, so we know how how reliable the product is, not just um, you know passing some sort of arbitrary test. So um, you know I think those are some some important tools that that anybody can use with a little bit of uh, training and then some some support with some some experts. Steve, I, I'd like to ask you one more question. I I don't know if you have any suggestions about how uh, quality and reliability professionals can help create a culture of quality. In the organization, how can they help champion quality uh, with their uh, with their their coworkers and colleagues and suppliers? Yeah, so I mean, I guess I have a couple thoughts. Um, you know, I think every quality and reliability professional, um, myself included, we we can all maybe do a better job of kind of showing our value to facing organizations and certainly to management, and and that's only going to help us uh, promote. The, you know what we do. I, th- I think it's. Um, I guess I get a little sad sometimes when I. I, I think back in the seventies and eighties, my. I mean, I wasn't doing quality back then, but my perception is that there was maybe um, a more value placed on, you know, maybe industrial statisticians or people who were doing modeling and ensuring we have process control in our facilities. And I think some of that's gone gone by the way, wayside. And I think some of the honestly some of the talent that's coming out of universities is going into pharmaceuticals or Wall Street and doing financial modeling and, you know, quant stuff. And um, I, I think we can do a better job of, uh, of of showing management, you know, through the use of some of the tools I talked about, just how useful they are to the success of the organization. And I, I don't mean just upward. I mean, I think we can also do a better job of, um you know, getting the people that work in our plants kind of more involved and um, just take SPC, for example, I've been in places where, you know, this tool, it's almost like the operators think that it's a, it's a tool to check up on whether they're doing their jobs rather than a tool to enable them to own their process and to have the a tool that, that allows them to understand what their process is doing and that they're allowed to stop it and help understand, you know, why the process is going out of control because those people who live with that process, they're, they're instrumental to ensuring that we detect and find corrective actions for, for these um, uh, special causes. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and then yeah, sometimes I'm just amazed. I don't, unfortunately our firm is in a, in, in a place where we don't, necessarily have to or do a lot of marketing, but occasionally we'll be in a meeting with a pretty high level person, uh, maybe a vice president of product development or manufacturing uh, or in a smaller company, maybe even a CEO. And we always love to like just take out like a DOE case study. And I'm sort of always surprised that they look at this and they, they their jaws drop half the time and they're like, you know, how do we get this? Like, <laughs> this is not, I mean, this is not some new technology 
that's just rocket science. It's it's you know basically blocking and tackling of understanding a process, right? And um, so the fact that that so many of these heads of quality, to me, they don't seem like they even know about some of these more quantitative tools. It's it's a little surprising to me. And I, th- I think the last thing I'd say is that now might be an easier time because I think senior management's being bombarded with. Um, things like machine learning and AI and big data. And there's there's more buzzwords around about how all this data and machine stuff can can make make their you know companies more profitable. And I think that, you know, why why can't us as quality and reliability professionals just sort of latch onto that and say, yeah, we, we've been doing this for a long time and here's here's how we're gonna do that with you know understanding our production processes better by doing some upfront process understanding work modeling knowing what we're going to control and and you know really just kind of leveraging what's going on around industry in general to uh, really help improve the culture and the emphasis on this idea of problem prevention through through process control yeah maybe we need to call it blockchain steve yeah exactly well that would certainly help our stock price if we did but yeah (laughs) steve this has been great thanks so much for joining us today Oh, it's been my pleasure, Tim. Uh, enjoyed it. That was Stephen Wax. Sorry, Wax. Stephen Wax. Sorry, <laughs> Principal Statistician at Integral Concepts Incorporated. In April 2018, Stephen Wax's online course on SPC and process capability will be launched on the Ascendo Reliability website. This is Tim Rogers. Thanks very much for joining us. <laughs>